What do ancient astronomers, mercenaries, athletes, and politicians have in common? Join your three lame hosts as they take an irreverent, lived-in look at disabled figures from ancient Egypt to the 20th century. Come take a wild and accessible ride exploring a side of history they probably didn't teach you in school. This This is Lame Lame History. History. Hello, my name is Kevin. I'm an author, photographer, and former TV show host who was born without legs. I'm a congenital amputee with double hip disarticulation, which basically just means that no femurs formed in the hip sockets of my pelvis. I live in Montana and typically walk on my hands or use a skateboard to get around. I'm Caitlin Michelle. My friends call me Katie, my students call me Miss, and my twins boys call me Mommy. The doctors who delivered me didn't know what to call me when I was born without a left forearm, and now I guess I can call myself a podcaster. Hello, my name is Scott. I've been in the plumbing, construction, and service industry for almost 20 years, including owning my own plumbing company. I'm a former competitive paraclimber. I was born with only part of my right hand and had several surgeries to Shiner Children's Hospital to increase my dexterity. I'm married to a fellow, now former paraclimber, and we have twin toddlers who outnumber us in digits and outrun us in general. Okay, cool. Welcome to Lame History, the podcast about how disability and disabled people help shape the world as we know it today. Today, we'll be talking about John Eckhart Jr., or as he's more commonly known as Johnny Eck. Uh, He was born in Baltimore on August 27, 1911, to Amelia and John Eckhart Sr., and he was born with what's known most commonly as caudal regression syndrome, which it's a birth defect that affects fetal development of the lower spine, and it has kind of has a pretty wide range of of. Uh, how it can present itself. Uh, oftentimes it resorts, results in a, sh- a shortened trunk. Um, and sometimes you'll even have parts of the spinal column not fully forming or fusing. Um, so when Johnny came out, uh, it looked like, I think they quoted as saying, he looked like a broken doll, but he was born, quote unquote, without legs, though he did have some very tiny, like vestigial limbs. Um Johnny was actually one of two that came out of his mother. And I guess I probably could have put that in a more uh, (laughs) pleasant way. She just dropped you out. Uh, No, he was one of a set of twins. Um, His brother, Robert, uh, was born 20 minutes before him, I believe. Um, And he was perfectly healthy. Um, That sounds like a natural birth. That sounds terrible. (laughs) <laughs> that does sound like a natural birth. Yeah, yes. well, that's almost immediately confusing to me because I'm just like our twins were literally one minute apart because it was a C-section. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, you guys have a little bit more knowledge of this, but yeah, no. So Johnny was was the surprise at the back end of what must have been a pretty tough birth, and one of the things that really struck me just as a kid, kind of with. Not uh, the same birth defect, but at least with that same kind of congenital surprise for their parents um, is just how, like, cool his parents seem to be with the whole situation. Like, Johnny's included in all the family photos. They sent him to public school. Um, A lot of the photos of him when he was a little kid are really, like, smiley and cheery. And, um, yeah, I wish I could have learned, been able to find more on them um, because they seem like they're pretty. Wait, were you not in family photos? No, I was I was in family photos, but during this time, like early 1900s, like disability was not something that was part of social discourse. Like it wasn't until I think the Rehabilitation Act of 1918 that that actually started to become like more like disability as, you know, in this case, a result of World War One became like a more common part of the American conversation before then. Yeah, like these Kids were often put in a public home or an institution, much less being sent to freaking public school. Um, yeah, it was actually a pretty big deal what they did at the time. Um, but and also, I think even. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. I, I feel like at that time it would have been just as shocking, if not more shocking, that, hey, there are two kids. Twins? Yeah. Twins have been born all the time. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, but back then, they're not... Romulus okay, and but, Remus. Yeah, but that's mythology. Every mythology, every every uh, culture's mythology has some kind of mystical twins because twins are like this rare, weird thing until technology 
and a reproductive technology came into the picture and now they're super common. <laughs> so you think But that- before that it was super weird and at a time without uh imaging or any kind of like uh what do you call it? Oh my god, ultrasounds. It would have been super weird. Like, oh my god, I was just pregnant for this long and now there are two babies. I oh, know that from my... the mother's perspective, like being surprised. Yeah. At twins. I thought you meant like random passerbys oh, no. being surprised at seeing two twins on the street. Okay, no, like two no, ships no. silently passing in the night. There we go. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that my, one of my friends, she is older than me. Uh, she's my mom's age, I believe. And her older brothers were twins. And she says that her mother, when she was pregnant, they were like, oh, you're getting too much weight. You're getting too much weight. And she was like, I don't know. I'm doing what you tell me. And then two babies came out and they were shocked. So even like this is, I'm not going to do the math, but my friend is my mom's age, her older brothers. And this is way before that. So I think the mom would have been like, what is going on? Yeah, like they just would not have been expecting twins. That's all. Right. That that's like bizarre. The only quote they have uh, of the time uh, was that he came out looking, quote unquote, like a broken doll. Um, and the only other uh, commentary they had, I think it was from a news clipping that was like a lot of this is like from Johnny relating these experiences later. And it's like told of a friend of a friend. So there's not a ton of like super reliable autobiographical information from what I've seen. And as we'll get into it later, the autobiography that he was working on hasn't unfortunately gotten to see the light of day. So um, some of this stuff will be a little bit hearsay-ish, I would say. Um, But one of the things uh, was that his neighbors spoke um, about how he couldn't have been born to better parents, I guess. So whether, you know, uh, uh, through sheer luck or just, you know, their their chosen disposition, they seem to really want to kind of give him a pretty normal childhood. Also, just um, a really weird thought, but like I I do think there's a higher incidence of disabilities, especially um some kind of uh, missing limb in uh multiple births. So like my mom was pregnant with triplets. Um and I've heard of a lot of people born either without a hand or without uh uh, lower limbs having a twin i don't know about the exact science of it maybe it is this correlation but i just think it's interesting um yeah so johnny was uh and you know there's actually a fair number of photos of him when he was growing up and uh he started walking on his hands before his brother could stand and they were both able to read by the age of four so I mean, there was a fairly involved childhood. A lot of the credit goes to his older sister named Caroline, who I guess provided the boys with some home education before they were both enrolled in public school at the age of seven. Um, How much older is she? uh, I don't know, actually. And that's the thing. It's really tough to find anything on his family that's not, you know, an incidental picture of Robert or photos of him at his youngest but if i find anything i'll do a little follow-up on that and if i find anything i'll add for the show notes um but in 1918 that's when they started school this is just kind of toward the close of world war one so i mean despite the huge i don't know in my opinion it seemed like a pretty big deal like my parents were even getting recommended to send me to a special school when i was you know going and that was like late 80s so I don't know. I, I think it was still a fairly yeah. big deal. But that said, late, it was late 80s, at least early 90s was right on that turning point. Yeah. Um, and this was kind of almost at the very start of that conversation before then, you know, disabled people were just, you know, an entirely different human class in a lot of respects. So it must um, have nothing to do at all with the ADA being passed in 1990. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Something we'll get to, I have no doubt. Um, So Johnny kind of recounted a little bit of his school um, times. And while he puts a really good spin on everything, you can definitely kind of tell there's some hints of frustration there. So. I think, like, let's see, one of the things he talks about is uh, one of the, some of the larger students would apparently fight for the honor of lifting him up the stairs to school, which I think is kind of his, he, 
the showmanship kind of description of things is something that you'll probably become accustomed to as we go through more of this stuff. Um, but then you'll hear stuff like they apparently had to block out some of the school windows to stop onlookers from looking in the classroom. And like, I can't imagine that was like a super pleasant experience. That's um, creepy. That's so creepy right? on all counts, really. Right. It also makes me wonder where their classroom was, but I digress. Um, and so one of the co most common responses he had when people would ask, like, uh, would you wish, do you wish if you had legs? She so said, why would I want those? Then I would have pants to press, which I think is probably a learned response from maybe his parents or teachers or so like a, a defense mechanism, basically. Um, I don't know. Pants are annoying not, to press. I'm, that's it's true. That's response, true. Though. I'm kidding. That's true. Response. Response. Well, the pants are annoying to press, but I feel like I can speak with authority on this. They are more annoying to sew up. Um, like I have to make Fair. custom pants for myself and that is a, pain in the ass and i would say if we're boiling them down to minutes of work time i would say it you know how long's pressing pants seven to ten minutes maybe if you're very slow i would say why 10 don't you to just wear a tilt all the time because then i would have a perineum like a tortoise shell okay and i can't imagine okay <laughs> you asked i did sorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> um some of their early times outside of school was working. They, uh, Johnny and Robert took a job at, and I'm going to probably mispronounce this, but I'll do my best, Octavix Art Shop, which is around the corner from their house. Um, they were employed as painters, uh, painting like screens for plays, signs, local stuff around church. Um, and it was actually doing some painting for church restoration work that Johnny and his brother were first kind of introduced to the world of show business a little bit. Um, when Johnny was 12, he and Robert uh, attended a stage magician show at a local church. During the segment, the magician, um, who's known as John McAslan, asked for volunteers and Eck jumped onto stage on, on just on his hands. Um, it's pretty clear that he'd been doing this for a long time as well, like wa walking around on his hands, doing handstands, like... It's a lot easier than I think people with legs give it credit for. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> speaking all amount of authority. Um, but this impressed McAslan so much that after the show, he asked Johnny to join his sideshow uh, and act as his manager. There's something there's something to be said about being discovered for a sideshow at a church function. And I don't know what that is, but there's something there. I was thinking about this earlier. So there's kind of this. So. Um, Helena doesn't really get any any entertainment options. Helena's where I grew up. Um, and I once a year at the end of July, beginning of August, you'll get the state fair will come through town. And I think I was like six or seven when we ended up meeting the manager of the local state fair. And he all I remember was him inviting us into his office, which was just like a mobile home thing, and gave me a stack of free tickets. And then I went up outside and dad started yelling and apparently he offered me to, like, come work for them or something. And this is like 89. So I can't imagine that like there was actually now after doing the research, I know for a fact that there was no outlet for this. So God knows what the idea ultimately was for having this little, like, you know, six-year-old kid join his show. Um, but at the very least, I, I have the tiny reptilian brain memory of being, like, super stoked that an adult thinks you're important. Um, and I think Ugh. that, you know... That's so dark. Met, I know, right? Um, but being met through the avenue of a church rather than, like, you know, I'm just thinking from his parents' perspective, if he met them in a church rather than meeting them on like a roadside carnival, that might have totally different vibes in terms of how he got initially attracted into the industry. I don't um, know. I feel like it's all like a big white van with free candy vibes here, even in the church. <laughs> well, Maybe I mean, especially in the church. It didn't go well. Um, and Johnny, yeah. like, apparently there were some legal troubles. Uh, he originally signed with the uh, with McAslan uh, for a one year tour and later claimed that McAslan added a zero to it, uh, requiring 10 years of touring. Um, so after. Right. So he didn't go see the contract through to completion, um, needless to say. Wasn't um, he a child? So I think he was. 
12? 13 when he signed. So he was still a child. Um, but he had some help from his brother. And uh, I think he had. Like, Who's also manager. 13? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think they'd gotten a little bit older at this point because when he stars in Freaks, I want to say he is 20, I believe. Yeah. So he's probably closer to like 16 or 17, but like definitely being manipulated, like very clearly manipulated and kind of exploited. um, Exploited through by the pretty much everyone he interacted with in the industry to one degree or another. Um, so after he parted ways with McGasland, Johnny bounced between carnival outfits, working for some of the the top outfits, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey's, some of the Barnum and Bailey, um, some of the other smaller shows that more regional shows. Um, he was usually billed as a solo show. And uh, the show was titled Johnny Eck, the half boy, the greatest living curiosity. Um, and he did, you know, uh, I don't know when the. Maddie B episodes going to air, but he had a very similar uh, uh, show as as uh, old Matt, Matthias Bookinger, where he would do slight sleight of hand tricks, a uh, little acrobatic feet, some juggling, tightrope walking, and then um, his pretty famous. I think if you've ever seen a photo of Johnny Eck, this is probably the one you've seen where he's doing a one armed handstand in a tuxedo. Um, I, and I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Oh. Yeah, type in Johnny Eck, and it should be one of the first Google images. Yep. That... There it is. It's pretty cool. Let me yeah. see. Johnny. Yeah, that is cool. That's a cool image, too. Well, and it's interesting, like, it, that kind of shows a little bit of the how weight displacement and disability mm-hmm. intersect to allow you to pull off some pretty amazing things. So, like, I couldn't pull that trick off. And I've tried. I've tried to do a one-armed handstand a ton of times. But I was born with what was called double hip disarticulation. So, in contrast to caudal regression syndrome, as I know it, like my spinal columns fully formed, fully formed pelvis. I just don't have femurs clicking into those empty sockets. Yeah. His disability goes up higher into his spinal column, but that also means that his center of gravity is more centered in between his shoulder blades. And that's what allows him to pull off that handstand. I mean, the short of it is like, I got too fat and ass to be able to hold it up. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then just kind of just to create a visual, if you you know didn't know what was going on underneath his clothes at all, and you were just looking at what you know a full-bodied individual, what he looks like is from basically almost like belly button down. There's nothing there. Yeah, which there definitely is because yeah. that's not yeah. how anatomy works. Yeah, but well, and, for and the that's, purposes that's of billing him as. And then the way he looks when dressed. Yeah. Yeah. And he had custom pants sewn to kind of hide the small vestigial limbs that he he did have. Um, So there was definitely like acknowledgement of that these things are there and how do we hide them to best, you know, articulate this illusion. Like, I'm sure that the the nicely tailored suit, I mean, if you look at the the silhouette of that one-armed handstand like that suit is tailored specifically to show him as as half as possible i guess you would say you know um or yeah, you know I mean, try to very, illustrate that illusion yeah it's very fitted so that nothing is there's no like fabric hanging or anything like that there it's just meant to be yeah fitted to the bottom yeah at least fitted to the uh, i don't know delete that <laughs> <laughs> delete me no Um, so he was getting quite a bit of uh, work and it seemed like a lot of the photos from around this time he does genuinely seem to be pretty happy in between the business troubles that he had he did seem to be genuinely happy on the road at a lot of these uh, uh, moving uh, carnival type shows Um, there are a fair few photos of him you know hanging out with people uh getting to kind of just be outside outdoors. He had a custom race car made for himself. That's um, cool. 
there's some photos of him with ladies. You know, it just seems like he was kind of out living his life. Um, and that's not to say that there's like a downfall or anything coming, but, you know, it definitely just um, he just seemed very happy uh, in between uh, a lot of this kind of, I don't know, frustrating business venture stuff. Yeah, and he's pretty classically handsome. He and his brother, if that's his brother in the pictures. Oh, yeah, dude. He's yeah, he's a looker. He's very handsome. Um, and so it was in the summer of 1931, uh, doing a show up in Montreal that Eck was approached by a rep from MGM Film Studios and asked to appear in Todd Browning's movie Freaks. Um, and Todd Browning, fairly famous director at the time, he'd gotten his start as an actor working with D.W. Griffith before the advent of sound. Um, and he was apparently... Johnny wasn't fully informed that this was an actual feature film. So it was filmed in Los Angeles in the fall of 13 or 1931. And Johnny didn't know that he was actually going to be in a movie until he showed up on set. He thought he was going to work in an LA based show live show circus thing. Um, and he didn't realize until he showed up on a sound stage that this was a different case. Um, oh, wow. That right? sounds and terrible. So, that gives you an idea of the and the thing is, is that like it's not like you have your choice of jobs, right? Like you take the work that's offered to you and that gets leveraged in such horrible ways as you'll you know, continue to see here. Um, but yeah, no. And his manager was, you know, completely culpable for that miscommunication. And it's on the same token. It's like, well, what are you going to do? This is the only Hollywood role for someone with that's an amputee and quite I mean this is still probably the most famous Hollywood role for aside from Lieutenant Dan um, so it's not yeah right so in a hundred years 150 years of cinema you can't really argue that it's you know there's a plethora of new roles cropping up every you know every now mm-hmm. and then so on a budget of two hundred nine thousand uh, dollars, it eventually bloomed to three hundred thousand. Um, they shot for twenty four days, and there's some differing accounts. Um, like he was quoted kind of early on uh, saying that he didn't really get along well with his castmates, and then later looking back, he talks about you know how much fun he had with the Siamese twins and the caterpillar man and the bearded woman. Um, Wait, what's, what is a caterpillar man? Well, we'll get to that here in a okay. minute in terms of these are all characters from the movie Freaks, right? So okay, he's okay. referring to who they were. So in the movie Freaks, I think he is his official title is half man. Right. Right. Um, I'm just thinking, I was wondering if you met like their disability makes them look like a caterpillar. And I was like, what? I'm just confused. I'm sorry. (laughs) No. And I I don't even remember which one the caterpillar man was. I'm not sure. Um, I'm going through it right now myself. Yeah. So basically the plot of the film is uh, about this the group of titular freaks who have their own kind of insular community in this traveling carnival. And, you know, they they have their own definition of normal kind of in their own little bubble world here. Um, and there's two little people who have been in love for a while, one of which has been saving up to buy a ring. Um, and during this time, the, you kind of meet the villain, a lady named Cleopatra, who I think is work like on the trapeze side of the the carnival act but she's able-bodied and you find out that she's seducing him to kind of get the ring eventually he does marry her she gets the ring and i think she gets drunk and starts making fun of him and that's when like the freaks turn to revenge um wait so he marries cleopatra yeah, uh, Hans is the name of the 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 little person who uh, is kind of one of the main characters who gets kind of seduced into marrying Cleopatra. Okay. Um, eventually, Hans like he does confront her after she's been like making fun of him, and they end up th- turning his circus wagon over and torches the wagon. Um, and only after that point, uh, the freaks then capture Cleopatra and. They don't really show it, but somehow they manage to turn her into a human duck. Can't really get my brain behind that. And so, like, Is that one like of the husk. Oh my god! A little bit, yeah. Actually, that's oh. a pretty good <laughs> reference. Like, obviously, not as graphic, but like, that's the weird thing. Is that like at the start of this film, there's like, I wouldn't call it sweet necessarily, but like, 
there's these fairly nice like mise-en-scene moments of like just these you know people with disabilities interacting together without the outside world like staring in and it feels fairly normal and healthy <clears throat> but then you know you go to the other end when they're going to get revenge and they're all lit in like horror film frankenstein's monster uh type scenarios it has a very different kind of the air of of acceptance i guess i was sitting here as i'm reading this being like i'm gonna get so many angry emails because i know that there are definitely people out there who are really big johnny eck fans and know much more than i could have you know than i can get across in the month six weeks or so that i was able to research on this um so yeah no i'm already bracing myself please be gentle in the emails wait there are johnny eck stands out there Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about it toward the end in the sources. But, like, there's a Johnny Eck, like, online museum. Um, and there's a couple articles about not only, you know, Johnny Eck aficionados, but uh, a little bit of conflict between them as between these aficionados as they're, as they're trying to curate their own collection of his memorabilia. It's a little frustrating and sad because we'll get into it. But his Johnny's later life is pretty embroiled in poverty and just tough times so going all the way back to freaks 1932 uh todd browning um one of the things johnny claimed was he got along great with the director was often seated beside him during filming at browning's own request um Despite his accounts, though, there were uh, and this is this is true. Some employees at MGM were uncomfortable with the presence of the actors portraying the freaks on set. And uh, so they uh, made a special tent um, for them to kind of eat and hang out on. The performers were not allowed to be on the studio lot. Instead, they're relegated to just outside the main filming area. And then they would bring them in when it was time to shoot. Yeah, yeah. Separate but equal. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, okay. And that's the thing. Like, I, I guess I should add like more context to this. Like, ever like any time I mention something kind of positive of this, it is the thinnest of sl- silver linings to <laughs> what is inarguably like a really ugly product and uglier process. So, like, let's just get that out there. I'm just trying to find the little moments of humanity because, like, he talks really nicely about his history going through this time. So there were slivers of humanity and happiness that would propel him to the next thing that he was doing, I would imagine. But, yeah, looking back on it, you're like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Not fun. I mean, especially, yeah, I right now especially built tend to be well. really tough. Yeah. Um, so Freaks released a major controversy in 1932. It was heavily edited by censors and given an X rating. It was even banned X? in the UK. Was it pornographic? Uh, no. Was but, it especially uh, violent? Nope. It was just okay. that hard on the eyes. Um, oh, per, okay. So there were reports of people running out of the theater. Others reportedly became ill or fainted. One woman who attended the screening threatened to sue MGM, claiming the film had caused her to suffer a miscarriage. And due to the extremely unfavorable response, the studio cut the picture down from its original 90-minute runtime to just over an hour. And that was the version I saw was the one that was like, you know, it's like 55 minutes or something. Oh, people. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) it's tough to really... And like, I mean, the, I think you see it in the brief. Um, if not, I'll, I'll post it in the, the discord here later. But like the the tagline for the theater poster was, can a full grown woman truly love a midget? And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, so that's, mm, that's what we're leading with. I don't think people really understand how wild this time period was for disabled people. I yeah, I really don't think people understand. Well, and part of it was because. A lot of them were still in institutions, but yeah, like, so a slightly larger postcard uh, from the same stuff, basically all their press material, um, it has, do Siamese twins make love? What sex is the half man, half woman? Um, for sure, sensationalism freaks tops any picture yet produced. It's more fantastic and grotesque than any shocker ever written. So that kind of gives you the idea of like where they're going with the release of this. 
you know, and no matter how well you're treated on set, you're going to see that marketing material. And there's got to be, you know, some really unhealthy disconnects between what people are telling you in your professional setting and what you're seeing your product manifest into. Yeah. But I also think we're looking at this from a 21st century perspective where like, I mean, who, what, who's not to say that they were not getting that treatment already by everyone else. Especially if they yeah, were, uh, if is, some of them were already in the carnival world and the side tail world. And it was already bad anyway. Yeah, yeah, it was already bad. So when you're already being treated badly, it's just more bad. Uh, you're not wrong. That sucks that you're not wrong. But yeah, no, I can, I can see that. Absolutely. Yeah. First time I hated being right. <laughs> The first time. <laughs> I can tell I'm you kidding. that. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> um, so it did. I mean, it did. It was a bomb. The The movie was a bomb. Todd Browning's reputation as a reliable filmmaker among the Hollywood establishment was tarnished. And he only completed four more pictures before retiring from the industry around 1939. Okay, um, but why, why was it a bomb? Was it because it was so sensational that people were reacting really negatively? And it was getting a lot of flack. I think or it got it because, a ton of. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Or was it because it was very um, lowbrow in a sense? It's money. I mean, it's it's money. That's what it comes down to. So I'm sure it was very negative word of mouth. I mean, if they were cutting 30 minutes out of it, there was definitely like a strong enough audience reaction for them to be altering their content. So, yeah, I would say that it was just. At the end of the day, they put three hundred grand into it, and they want to get their money out of it, and they will do whatever they have to in order to kind of pull that money back if they feel like the audience is not going to be there for it. Yeah, so I think people just did for one reason or another. I mean, maybe one of the reasons is that the poster that I mentioned earlier has a very poor drawing of the little person. So it, what it looks like a woman kissing a child on her lap. There's just oh, a yeah. lot wrong with all of this. Like it yeah. goes deep. The um, sitting on the lap, the whole infantilization. Oh, yeah. That. So uh, anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll, the box office failure, not a big deal. I feel fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, while I'm sure it might have been maybe a blow to his career, Johnny's career trajectory, it's tough to say. Like even what attitudes at the time might have allowed for a really, like it's just tough to say where that might have gone. He did continue to get work though. Um, so after Freaks, he continued to work in Hollywood. He was featured as a quote unquote Goonie Bird, which I had to look up, and that's a an old timey name for an albatross. Um, and he played a Goonie I thought, Bird in I three. Albatross was an old time name for an albatross. Fuck you! It is. I'm that, <laughs> I'm, I'm like a, uh, I'm a like layers of elderly. Um, so anyway, well now now I'm, yeah, it's just a big seagull, right? I think so. I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. I thought they now were extinct, but apparently, <laughs> apparently they're not extinct. What am I confusing this with? You're just out here rattling my fucking cage while Wait, I'm trying is... to keep my eye on the ball. Am I confused <laughs> with dodo birds? Do they look like dodo yes, birds? you are 100% confused with dodo birds. If you're even 1% thinking dodo birds, okay, they're but dead they look now. alike. They look alike. I mean, they're birds. That's that's alike. They all birds look uh, alike. Don't quote me. I'll don't do, don't come for me. They're within a hand grenade shot of each other. I'll give you that. But anyway, what you guys should be doing with your Google right now is typing in Johnny, birds. looking up Johnny Eck dressed as a Goonie bird. Because, <laughs> like, it's I'm pretty great. Like, <laughs> the only thing I imagine is I'm just like, that look, it looks so hot. I mean, they just did like he is in a full feather suit. Like, imagine someone made oh, a big no. bird suit for a legless guy. Do you see okay, it? Okay, that looks like a that looks like a dodo bird. Yeah, that yeah, he does look like a dodo bird in that. Well, because he has his arms are way bigger than you know an albatross's little bird feet. Jeez, uh, why couldn't they just I don't know make a bird make a make it? I don't know. I'm I'm now I'm thinking I'm like they don't have green screen, but. 
I they don't have green screen and I don't, this is the one where I'm like, this would actually be kind of cool. I feel like, cause you're not like, you're not playing a freak. You're not yourself. You're like a cool monster in a freaking Tarzan movie. This to me, anyway, I got no problems with this. Still but a monster, but okay. okay well, but, you're um, still kind of, but it's more perform. Like you're still you're, like at a certain level, like your value is your ability to do stuff other people can't. So like you kind of have to accept it a little bit. Yeah. Not that I'm saying it's it's easy to, but did he have lines? I no, I don't believe so. So they could have had a puppet doing this. Yeah, but you're getting so much more utility out of him doing it than a well, puppet. I mean. And it does sound like he had cultivated some good relationships in Hollywood. It does sound like he had made some actual friends and there's enough set photos and stuff where, like, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, that's what a lot of work in L.A. is, is, like, the people that you know and the network that you have. And, like, I could see someone speaking up on his behalf in the Tarzan series. However, that was, you know, produced at the time to get him on set. Um, you know, I can't I, I don't know for sure, but um this seems like it would have been a pretty good gig. Yeah, this doesn't yeah. surprise me. I mean, even in 77, they still stuffed a little person into a tiny little R2-D2. You know? Right. Like it, yeah, there. I'd rather be a Goonie bird than a robot. Robot like uh, that. I don't know. Awesome. I think I'd rather be a robot. No, man. One. Goonie bird feathers breathe. Robot trash can does not. And I'm a sweaty yeah. boy. I would want to yeah. be R2-D2. You wouldn't want to be R2-D2? Well, we're Again, gonna it comes down to comfort. 70. 77, you don't know if R2-D2 is going to be what he is now. Is but he's absolutely do not. Okay, I would pick a robot over a bird any day. That's just a pers- personal choice. Well, it's a personal on. choice. You, you, but that's also because you're a cyborg. No, I think you, I would have liked... Ro- I liked robots before. You have a robot arm. But I liked robots before I had a robot I'm arm. Just, I'm just saying you're biased. Okay. Okay. Ask our <laughs> ask our three year olds. Boys, what do you like better? A bird or a robot? No, they love the robots. They love the robots. I they think you're off. doing it a disservice by not saying, do you like an albatross better than a robot? Because albatrosses <laughs> are dope. Anyway. <laughs> So uh, during this time, so the he, he was in three Tarzan movies between 1932 and 1941. So he had like a decent stint there. Um, and during this time, he still did some performing as evidenced by an appearance he made at the Ripley's Believe It or Not Auditorium in 1933 at the Chicago's World Fair. Now, his IMDb profile mentioned that he used his profits to save his family's home from foreclosure out in Baltimore. Um, I wasn't able to find any other sources on that, but considering, like, that's where they, him and his brother spent their retirement years, I'm sure that was the case. Um, In 1937, Johnny and Robert were recruited by the magician and illusionist Raja Raboid for his show called Miracles of 1937. It was a classic. And his brother. Yes. And his because brother actually, twins. yes. And I'll describe the trick here. It actually, it uh, it's actually kind of a funny trick. Uh, there's this. It was a classic twist on a saw man and half trick that utilized Johnny's brother being selected from the audience and getting secretly switched with his brother in the box. After oh. being sawn in half and running around on stage, he would again be swapped with his brother, who would storm off stage and out of the building. I like the storming off stage and out of the building. That's kind of funny. Hopefully, like, covered in blood still. Like, oh! Okay, wait a minute. We've gone, we've gone full prestige on this now. I hope I didn't just... If you haven't seen prestige, you know what I said. How dare you? Spoiler alert at the beginning of the episode, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got a spoiler alert at the beginning of the also episode. Tusk. Prestige. And well, Tusk. Also yeah, Tusk, actually, yes. Uh, I'm not spoiling alert movies that are over 10 years old. That's don't great. Don't watch Tusk. Just don't. Please, people, if anyone's listening. To this particular section because it didn't get cut. Uh, my vote's canceling out your vote. Do it. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so anyway, the act was extremely popular, and Eck and his brothers uh, and his brother, sorry, just one, uh, toured along the East Coast for over a year uh, with this specific trick. That's interesting because I think I I used to watch. I don't remember when the show aired, but it was a show about like the secrets behind magic and magicians. Oh, the stupid uh, things. Yes, and they did use twins for a few of the acts. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Although, I don't know if Johnny and his brother looked 
quite similar enough, but okay. I'm sure you could make the difference. Like, I I mean, there's quite a few photos of them as they grow older. And like, I think you could make up the difference pretty easily. I mean, it is pretty cool. John, like the, Johnny could have done some, like, I don't know how he was in terms of like actual stage, like the, the reading lines and conveying emotion to, you know, the craft of acting. But like, he definitely had a great look about him. Like he yeah. would have been cool and. I agree, but you, if you look at the movie. faces, the faces are very different, I think. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's because I have twins. Yeah, his brother has a longer face. I just Maybe it's because I have twins and people are like, how do you tell them apart? And I'm like, because they don't look anything alike. So maybe it's that. It's a survival it's skill also, I've developed. <laughs> but, you know, you got to keep in mind, like, the, the audience, you know. There's a person True. being brought in and everyone is supposed to assume it's just one human being. You know, there's a certain level of buy-in that's required of everyone mm-hmm. to watch the show. True, true. Like, no one's going to a magic show and being like, I'm going to watch a bunch of fucking normal shit. <laughs> well, anyway. but come on. You didn't watch those and be like, how'd they do it? I'm going to figure it out. No, oh, no, no, I did. Um, so during this time, Eck and his brother cultivated some of their other loves. They led a 12-piece orchestra in Baltimore with Johnny conducting and Robert playing the piano. Oh, wow. Johnny also had a custom race car built for himself called the Johnny X Special. And I actually saw – there's photos of this thing, and it looks cool as hell. You should Google it. Um, it's super short, and I don't know if – Scott, I don't know if you know anything about cars. I don't know enough. Wow. Did you I, just, I did you just enough- assume I didn't know about cars because I'm female? How dare you? Well, no, I, I don't know shit right. about cars. It's fine. No, you're right. You got me. That was a dick move on my part. I, I totally I do got not know. in there. Oh, my God. I don't know shit. But um, it looks like it's just a two-stroke in the front. I don't know. It's difficult to tell. And I, I certainly don't know enough to, to know either. Uh, what I'm looking at is a picture of his race car with a bunch of men in sailor outfits. And then there's an, a live elephant behind them. Yep, that's one of the more popular photos. Oh, no, Poppy. And they're all ripped. I like how the clowns are both like jacked bouncers, too. It's a good look. It's a good look. <laughs> like, they all look like they'd really... I, I also like the dog down, the, the totally normal dog down by the... I love the dog. Who's very disinterested in this. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, they must be farther apart, but it looks like the elephant is about to stomp the shit out of that dog. Right. Anyway, anyway, oh um, yeah, I, see, I see the car. I'm not seeing anything as to what is in the car. Cause I mean, you could have no, a I, four, four cylinder in there, um, but it, it, whatever it is, it, it's tiny. It's really, it's a, it have to be, it wouldn't be surprising if it was uh, like a two stroke, like something. That's what um, I was thinking. Like a, almost like a lawnmower engine. Cause it's really small. Well, that's what I was thinking. So, like, for Travel Channel, for one of our episodes in Hawaii, we mounted a two-stroke engine on the back of a mountain board. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, you take the chassis off that, and it l- would have almost the same look as a mountain board with a two-stroke mounted on the back. So, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, yeah. that could get going fast, though. We got that thing up to, like, 30, 35. So, as long as you're on the right pitch. So, are we building a race car for this podcast? <laughs> no, no, no. And and two stroke engines are no fun. Uh, but no, I just had a revelation. I was like, oh, that's what it must have been. It's like an old timey mountain board with a little, I don't know. It's cool. Leave me alone. I don't get to see uh, uh, no legged vehicles that often. Um, so this was also around the time. So Miracles of 1937 would kind of prove to be their last real sideshow type performance thing um, as they kind of started to lose their appeal right around this time. Um, so they the aged early, out. They aged out. Um, oh, and it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool watching as they move back to Baltimore, like some of the later photos, it's clear that camera technology has changed. So you get to see Johnny in kind of like 1960s aesthetic around like art deco stuff. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of cool um, from those like more stodgy, you know, black and white carnival years. He left the tuxedo behind. He did. He did. He, he replaced it with a very cool, like uh, uh, uh vintner's hat or I don't know, nice. like a little straw, straw Godfather hat. Yeah. Um, so the early part of his retirement does sound pretty nice. He 
get to entertain the little the kids around the neighborhood. Um, he was kind of a known character, um, and just seemed like a pretty wholesome time. Unfortunately, uh, it was kind of relatively short lived as a number of things came together to kind of make things harder for him. Uh, the oh, and did I mention this that they? No, hold on, back up. So a number of things will come together came together that would kind of make things harder for him. One of them was that Johnny and his brother uh, made a train ride in a local park where Johnny acted as a conductor. Um, and I think they tried to turn that along with a penny arcade into a viable business. And it worked for a little while, and it certainly made him like, the. I mean, he would be the coolest guy in the neighborhood. If you're like, do you know the dude with the arcade and the train set? Um, but unfortunately, it broke him financially. So... Maybe if it was a nickel arcade. Such a, that's a low effort bird. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus. Um, oh man. So even then he would he would hang out on his porch with his dog, a Chihuahua named Major. Oh. Um and he and his brother would perform puppet shows for some of the local children who came to visit. Um there's a I was reading through on the Johnny Eck Museum website, there's some postcards that he's handwritten to people. And like the only direct account I was able to read, I'm like, oh, that's a complete little story, was uh, apparently Major got in trouble one time because he ran after the mailman and ran across uh, Johnny's pallet of green paint. And the dog was covered in green paint, but not in too much trouble, I guess. That's for you. Put it in your back pocket. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, Chihuahuas are are little. They're so mischievous. They really are. I know. It's just fun. It's just funny. Anytime I read like an account of any famous person or historical figure talking about their dog, because everyone just sounds exactly the same when they're talking about their precious, precious. Yeah, dog all dogs are great, but mine are the best. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So around. Uh, I think it was like 1983 or 1984, the release of Freaks on VHS brought new renewed attention to Eck because up until then it had been kind of like you have to get film prints of it and it had bombed. So there weren't that many. It wasn't something that was readily available. And with the VHS distribution capabilities, all of a sudden you had this whole like cult following begin to attach itself. And, you know, think about like mid to late 80s that's like the birth of like media subcultures and stuff that like he probably had no familiarity with you know mm -hmm. thinking back in terms of like live shows and carnivals um and he was quoted Question. as saying yeah do we have to explain vhs to our listeners because i'm genuinely curious i don't think so <laughs> okay no, cool no, yeah i don't think we need Stop to that. get old no vhs is cool now it's having its own heyday people know what vhs is um but yeah, he was quoted as saying, you'd be surprised to see these quote unquote avid fans. I say they're crazy. But despite that, he did express sadness at his finances later in life. And this kind of shows how seriously he treated his like position or what he he felt was his craft. He said, I'm so embarrassed. I'd love to be financially able to entertain these wonderful people in a refined way, a tiny sandwich, a cold cola or something. And that just like, I don't know, that just made me so sad because his first thought was like, I want to continue to entertain these people, um, mm -hmm. you know, throughout this life, like where, you know, maybe he hadn't always been treated it just a lot of ups and downs. And he was still like, you know, he still kind of had that, that way about him. Um, still felt somehow like that he owed them something. I don't know. It's like sweet and dark. Know. And yeah, it's sweet and dark. Sweet. That's yeah. Um, I think that's a good description of it. Uh, a lot of his postcards and correspondence is on the Johnny Eck website, and I'll read it uh, at the end of the, the podcast or whatever. Um, but you got a sense of some of the paintings he would draw, and they're super, super cute. There's like two, you know, little cartoonish possums sitting on a tree, and they're very simple, but it's, um, I don't know, you could just tell that he had an incredible warmth for some of his fans and friends um, that came through and all of his art and writing. And he did, um, going all the way back to his first job, he did manage to sell some paintings on commission um, after he kind of was fully out of the entertainment showman kind of game. He expressed like 
a real love of kind of getting back into painting. And I know at one point he wrote about like how stoked he was on actually getting a commission and a little bit of payment for one of his his pieces. Um, it wasn't ever enough, I think, to fully support himself on it. But I don't know. It was cool reading through all those, you know, all of his postcards. And like at that point, he was starting to get pretty beaten down on, you know, the whole showman Hollywood world. And then you'd get this little bright spot of like, oh, but I've discovered this this talent that I used to have. Um, unfortunately, things had kind of take a turn. In January 1987, the Eck brothers were assaulted and robbed in their home. The ordeal mm, lasted Jesus. several hours, and uh, one Jesus. of the thieves even sat on Johnny and mocked him as the others took their valuables. So this is when he was, what, 76, 75? Yeah, he would have been 75. Oh, that's... People. Right. Yeah. So um, after that, the brothers became recluses. There are no more visitors. Um, Johnny's tone definitely took a different, you know, tack. I think he was quoted as saying, if I want to see freaks, all I have to do is look out the window. And he Bye. passed in his sleep on January 5th, 1991, at the age of 79. Uh, his brother, Robert, survived Johnny, um, though he eventually passed in February of 95. Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was, I was going to ask, did neither of them get married? It sounds like they had a really close bond. No. And I don't have any record of him uh, being married, nor was I able to find any kind of romantic attachments. If we have any listeners who want, I would absolutely love to have a follow-up because that was one bit that I tried to dig into and tried to find something because there are a lot of pictures of him smiling next to ladies. Um, and he's a good looking dude. Um mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I am curious about that, but I wasn't able to find anything. And, you know, he has correspondence and postcards with some women later in his life. But again, nothing that hints at anything romantically inclined. So, well, kind of uh, hard to do when you're in a movie that's like the the tagline is, oh, how could a woman love this person? Yeah, and I know well, that, wasn't I mean, for, that wasn't meant to be about him, but it he was included in a lot. Well, more than that, like that tagline, you know, no one's going to remember that tagline specifically. But I think, right. you know, well. to a certain degree, that tagline provides a mirror into into like what society was thinking at the time. Right. And yeah. if you're to take it, if you're to take it from that ex that perspective, then yes, you are going to have an uphill battle in courtship. Um, yes. There's just like that. I yeah, I see that. But that said. Hollywood's weird, man. And it ain't always bad weird. Sometimes it can be good weird for the right folks. Um, <laughs> I realize that could be taken way out of context. But I, I do mean that in terms of like, you know, someone that is as specific and special as Johnny. If there is one place where you might be able to find the exception, you know, someone who who likes, you know, someone that's the exception to the rule, it might be there. I don't know. So Eck was purported to have written an autobiography called King of the Freaks, the Johnny X story. Uh, he enlisted uh, Robert Block to write the intro with Robert Crumb to design the cover art. And you can actually still find the cover art. Um, I think it was in like a Robert Crumb compendium. He did a lot of the Mad Magazine illustrations, if that's, mm -hmm. that's any sort mm -hmm. of reference point. Rings a bell. Yeah, big famous illustrator from like the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, he had a lot of Roberts sold. in his life, huh? A lot of Bobs. A lot of Bobs. <laughs> so the rights were sold to Anaconda, Anaconda Press in his hometown of Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland. But unfortunately, the publisher died before it was printed. So the book mm. got permanently ensnared in legal limbo. You can find the cover artwork uh, from the 1995 book Crumology, the works of R. Crumb, 1981 to 1994. And then, I mean, if you just go online, there are lots of little tribute websites. There's the Johnny Eck Museum. There's Baltimore Sun articles. Um, some of his other references in popular media. Uh, Tom Waits made a song called Tabletop Joe, which is loosely based on the life of Johnny Eck. Um, he was also mentioned in Waits' other song, Lucky Day. Um, and then there's been a Hollywood feature film kind of rumored to be in the works about his life since like the 1990s. 
And on the IMDb, there's a couple screenplays that have been mentioned. Um, I actually was sent one in 2006, I want to say. And it was admittedly kind of sad. I was like, I don't know if I want to be this guy. Um, and I don't want to say too much else on it because I don't know what else is you know, still locked up in rights. But um, I do know Question, that it exists. Would you, would you have played your own twin? I don't know how it would work. And it's interesting now that I'm older and can like better articulate like the 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 physiological differences between myself and him, because frankly, like there's so many things he can do with that missing part of his spine in terms of acrobatics that I can't do because I have a full spine and an ass um, that is weight that kind of lever levers off of my main center of gravity. So it's like it, that's what makes it impossible for me to do like one armed handstands and the really, really cool stuff that he was able to pull off. Um, I have other things that are, you know, helpful for me, but I think that they would have been served with better served with someone else, um, though. I don't think that many of those people had the kind of medical expertise to articulate those differences. I don't know. I could be wrong, but you know, I know what you mean. Like even just in, in how they would portray walking on your hands. It, yeah. It, it's vastly different between someone who spent decades doing it versus someone who's trying to figure out how to make it look like they spent decades doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I think I would, and, and I think to that, point i would be like useful in that like you would need to have some assistance in terms of me doing a one-arm handstand etc but the basic physiology of walking on your hands and the knowledge that goes with like hand placement and musculature and all that's still there so i could see that i could see that point but nevertheless it hasn't been made it's still floating around somewhere yeah I I saw that DiCaprio was actually wanting to be the executive producer on that was an IMDb note. Leo? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. They should just make it a, a like a revenge film with him going after the guys who invaded his home. I would watch that. I that is that is a fun semi fun thought experiment though. Like how does a legless guy take down a bunch of home invaders? Have to get all uh uh Kevin McAllister with it. Listen, we're in an age of superheroes. Like we can totally make him a superhero. Oh, but no, I am. I am interested. I mean, I could see, I could see it being done well because it's a, it is sad and dark, like you said. Um, but there's a lot of sweetness there as well. Um, so it's a complex thing. Uh, so real quick, let's do some source housekeeping. If you are interested in uh, the place that I would probably start if you want to learn more about Johnny Eck or see photos or anything is go to johnnyeckmuseum.com. Um, you can also find a ton of stuff on his IMDb profile. Uh, if you search Johnny Eck uh, and Baltimore Sun, you can find out a lot about uh, people who have collected his memorabilia, as well as some conflicts between a couple people who consider themselves shepherds of his story or his history. What the heck does that even mean? If you're not family or you're not it's someone weird. who knew him, how the hell can you even call yourself that to begin with? Well, one person was a very... Parasocial like, relationships. Well, one person claimed to be a very close, like, neighbor friend, like, in-person friend with them. Um, but then another one was just a, 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 an avid fan. So, yeah, digging into that, there's definitely a little kind of weirdness there. Um, but frankly, I didn't I didn't get that deep into it. Um, mm -hmm. Baltimore is also a really weird place. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck Baltimore. Let's just throw that out there on this episode. Hey, uh, I, for for context, I I uh, lived in Maryland for seventeen years, in which is the South. Oh God, we're not getting into that. Um, <laughs> and and I spent a good chunk of time in Baltimore, including deep into some very Baltimore culture. So uh, I would not. Um, and I'm not speaking from that without experience. Baltimore can be a very weird place, for better and for worse. <laughs> I'll take your oh, word love for me, it. love me some John Waters movies. Oh yeah, good point. Actually, yeah, 
John Waters, mm-hmm. that really does kind of uh, put a put a pin on it in terms of what mm-hmm. you get there. Oh yeah, Let's watch some John Waters movies and eat some crab. All right, let me wrap this up real quick. Um, but that is Johnny Eck. Quite the quite the history. Dark, little sad, but I don't know. A lot of fun stuff and cool race cars and smiling people in between those moments. So I don't know. Something I thought was pretty cool. Oh, he gives uh, me like want- a. Sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, Go you're ahead. fine. I was gonna no, say he no. gives me like a little bit of a Mister Rogers feel to him. A little bit. I mean, especially when he talked about not being able to entertain people and yeah, bad about that. But yeah. So. Okay, uh, housekeeping stuff real quick. Uh, If you want to uh, find us on Facebook or any of our socials, uh, we are at Lame History for both Facebook and Twitter and Lame History Podcast at Instagram. Um, If you have any questions, ideas for a show, corrections, uh, email us at lamehistorypodcast at gmail.com. We're always interested in hearing about additional research, corrections, or episode ideas. So thanks for listening, and please stay lame, everybody.